from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Whoops, excuse me. Um, by the way, I... I um, I, I had to step out because I had to check the uh, World Cup score. Apologize. I know that's that's the last thing that should be on my mind, except for the fact that me and my three boys uh, from the very beginning of the World Cup chose all 32 teams. We broke them up. Each of us has eight teams. We've been keeping score with each other. The winner gets dinner paid for over the holiday break. And it's all come down to the final between me and my oldest son. So... Um, when I left home this morning to drive here, my team, France, was already down 2 nothing. When I went to the restroom just there during the, after the piecing, passing of the piece, something happened. So um, just so you're aware, something happens. Hey, I would much rather you ruin my intro than me ruin your day. Did you already know what the score was before you got here? Sorry about that. Wow, I'm so sorry. Woo! Okay, we're off to a great start, this final sermon of 2022. Uh, let me just give you a heads up that when this service is over, I'm going to be darting out of here because now I don't want to have to talk to any of you. Actually, that's not true. I'm actually darting out of here because I'm getting in my car. My car is packed, and I'm on my way back to New York uh, to spend some uh, extended time there for the holidays. Uh, I haven't seen my parents in almost a year and a half, so I'm going to go there, do some fundraising on the way back. Uh, but this is, the, this is the last sermon of 2023. I have already, uh, just so you know, uh, to, to Sam's announcement, there, there is a production uh, put together, uh, that I put together for a little homily uh, for you for Christmas. Um, I, I, have to, I have to admit, uh, it's, it, it felt a little unnatural. I don't know if I've ever actually like sat and talked into a camera, like talked to no one. Uh, that's a bit odd. So uh, pardon me, but I, it helped me at least get through it. Uh, I, I added a few humorous and some moments of levity. I hope you'll find it humorous as well. Uh, but it helped me kind of break up the, the oddness and of, of the unnaturalness of just looking into a camera. So hopefully you'll appreciate that. Um, but that will be uh, um, released somehow. Uh, I'll, we'll figure it out uh, Christmas Eve. Um, so anyway, more... Um, Look forward to sharing that with you. Anyway, here we are. Final. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And um, as we have gone through the season, we have uh, entitled this mini sermon series, Waiting for the Prince of Peace. And each Sunday, we've looked at a different area in our lives where you and I long 
to see and experience uh, true peace in our lives. Uh, we started by looking at uh, peace with God. Uh, we then looked at peace with ourselves, <coughs> excuse me, ourselves. Then we looked at peace with the world. And this morning, we're going to be considering what it is to have peace with others. And so uh, will you pray with me uh, one more time as we enter into God's word? Heavenly Father, we uh, ask now that uh, with all the distractions that are on our minds as we come into this place this morning, including how the speaker has already ruined uh, partly uh, the uh, opportunity to watch a sporting event uh, this afternoon. Uh, Father, uh, the, the reality is we are, uh, our lives are uh, in a lot of ways uh, a mess. Um, we come in with a mixed bag. Uh, not just distractions, but a mixed bag of faith, um, a mixed bag of emotional state, spiritual state. Some of us are uh, truly celebrating in the midst of the season. Other, others of us are finding it really difficult uh, to get through this season. Father, however we find ourselves this morning, with all the complexity, the distractions in our lives, would you meet with us. Would you come near? Would you speak to us? We don't need to hear from the one speaking into the mic. We need to hear from you. So send your Holy Spirit now, we ask, so that when we leave this place, we will know that we have met with the living God who is still speaking today, speaking into our lives to change us, to renew us, to remake us after the image of your Son. Be with us now, we pray, for his sake. Amen. Well, several years ago, there was a nun who has since passed away by the name of Sister Angelica, who became famous uh, on, on the cable news networks. Uh, she created her own radio broadcasting uh, company and then her own cable uh, broadcasting company. And uh, I, re- I honestly don't know much about her, except I, I do remember seeing her face as I would be scrolling through my cable channels back in the day. Um, she's, she's passed away, I think, maybe in the last decade or so. But there is one quote that I know of her that, that continues to pop up on social media, and I don't know that it always gets credited to her. But it's this. This is the quote. <laughs> if it wasn't for other people, we could and would all be saints. If it wasn't for other people, we could and would all be saints. Or we might put it like this. It would be a lot easier to love if loving didn't involve other human beings. (laughs) But that's the problem, isn't it? Other people seem to always get in the way of us becoming better people ourselves. It's hard to continuously live in peace with others who don't always think like you think, don't always respond or react to circumstances in the same way that I do. And I don't think that anyone here, regardless of whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, would argue that when we look out in the wider culture, we just, as human beings, just don't really do a good job of getting along with people who are not like us. 
people who are different from us. And at the end of the day, out in the, in the world, there's real no mandate to do so. Yeah, there are laws to kind of keep things in order. But past that, does anyone really owe anyone else anything? Especially those who are not like us in the way we view life, in our politics, etc. But as a follower of Jesus, our calling is distinct. It is to genuinely love others as Jesus has loved us. It's to forgive others as our Heavenly Father forgives us. It's to live at peace with others in the same way that God makes peace with us. And Paul puts forth the challenge here in this passage. Listen again to how he starts. I, therefore, Paul, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, immediately without any other context, before we continue listening to Paul, we we likely, when we think of to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called, we likely immediately start thinking individually, privately. Specific things that I can do (laughs) to shape up to get my act together. Maybe we have a list. Maybe on the list it would be going to church on a fairly regular basis. Check. Walking worthy. Maybe it's praying on a regular basis every day, perhaps, at least before meals. (laughs) Check. Don't do anything that's blatantly out of character for someone who calls themselves a Christian. Check. Don't curse. Ah, close. Check. <laughs> the list could continue. But notice with all of those things, it's, it's only me <laughs> that I have to account for. And, and perhaps you've heard it said before that character is what you do when no one is looking. And, and that's a true statement as far as it goes. It just doesn't go far enough for the follower of Jesus. Because for the follower of Jesus, it's not simply what does it look like when no one else is looking. But for the follower of Jesus, it means what does it look like when you're in the midst and in fellowship with other people who are not like you, who sometimes get on your nerves, who sometimes step on your toes, You see, the faith of the follower of Jesus is not simply a private faith. Jesus has every intention that his followers will demonstrate a character shaped by his life, death, and resurrection that is public and specifically within a community. So notice that Paul gives very specific context as he continues with what he had in mind when he speaks of and challenging us and commissioning and calling us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. He continues, verse 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's stuff that happens only in relationships with other human beings. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you and I have been called, according to Paul, means (laughs) in community with others, acting with all humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. See, the point for Jesus' kingdom, the goal that Jesus had in mind, was not that people would individually get better morally on their own in some privatized way. It wasn't Jesus' plan to set up a bunch of human silos scattered across the earth. The plan was to start a community where people are together, living and doing life together, and that means that there will be times when you have sinners getting together in close proximity, there will be times when someone will get on your nerves, when someone will step on your toes, and you will likely do the same. But Paul says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called necessarily must happen in the midst of, in the presence of others. Think also elsewhere of the fruit of the Spirit. Another kind of go-to passage for what does it look like to be a, a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. Most of that that we hear Paul talk about of the fruit of the Spirit are communal characteristics. You can't do love by yourself. Peace is much more than a feeling that you have inside yourself. You can't do patience by yourself. You can't do kindness on your own. It's not simply about being gentle with yourself. And even self-control. It's not simply the ability to stay your hands, your eyes, or your feet from doing something that is less than what God intends for his images to do. It very often involves not responding to another human being in like kind for for how they have treated or mistreated you. Or think of the Sermon on the Mount. That sermon was primarily how to live life in community, in the midst of other image bearers. Or think about the more than 100 one another texts in the New Testament, the instructions to one another, do something one another, love one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another. There's more than 100 of those in the New Testament. And Paul doesn't, again, only mean doing these things with people that think and act like you, that are easy to get along with for you personally. He might have easily said, he might have easily said and added, the best way to bear this out, think of that one person in the community of faith that you find hardest to love. Think of that person, and then, with all humility, all gentleness, patience bear with that individual in love and with that individual continue to always be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace the fact that you and I 
for those of us that are in Jesus Christ, have now been reconciled to God. Now that that relationship has been restored, and knowing that God is intending to reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the cross, like we saw last week, he starts with a community of people where that reconciling work can actually take root and blossom into something that reflects visibly the reconciling work he has done for each of us with him. The call to reconciliation, the call to peace with others, necessarily means that it won't be easy, (laughs) that there's something broken. The call to continuously offer forgiveness to our brother and sister in the faith means that there will be wrongs done. But continue in verses 4 and 5. Notice what Paul says. He says, There is therefore one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see, God's plan to see his redemptive purposes and recreative work infiltrate the world is to use a people who often have very little else in common other than their common faith. The one baptism. The one Lord. And not to use them, again, as individuals, but to use them as a community. And that means pursuing peace with one another when it gets tough. And not simply reacting to difficult relational scenarios by simply cutting and running. Throughout the New Testament, actually, there are, there are numerous, very specific and real-time, real-life scenarios where this gets borne out in the community of faith. Multiple examples of how God intends reconciliation and peace to look like among his people. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul has some very harsh words for a church there that was meeting regularly, participating in the Lord's Supper, but were divided over socioeconomic lines. The wealthier, more well-to-do were partaking in one part of the house and everybody else was somewhere else. (laughs) Paul had some very harsh words. But essentially what Paul was saying was that now that mysteriously and mystically you are all part of Christ's body, the fact that you're physically distancing yourself from each other based on socioeconomic lines and creating these factions yourself It's actually an absurdity to your faith. (laughs) There's one body, Paul says. In this letter, in Ephesians, just two chapters earlier, Jews and Gentiles were challenged to recognize that the reconciliation that's happened with God, their creator, means they are to be reconciled even along ethnically diverse lines. There he says, Paul says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This purpose, for what purpose? That he might create in himself one new human in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We could go on, there are others. 
But socioeconomic and ethnic distinctions are only two of the many lines of demarcation that would make it more difficult for you and I to find peace with others. They're too serious and that, that there are difficult obstacles to get over. But there's also political differences. There's personality differences. There's style preference differences. We could go on. <laughs> so why? Why, according to Paul, why, according to Jesus, is communion, unity, peace, forgiveness when necessary, reconciliation so important in the body of faith? Well, passage that we've, we've actually alluded to a couple times recently, John 17. On multiple occasions, as Jesus is praying, as he's about to go to his death, he prays that his people would know unity, would be one in front of the watching world so that the watching world may come to believe that he was sent by his father. What is Jesus praying there? What is he saying? He's saying that to the degree that my people are unified, are at peace with one another, the world will come to faith. <laughs> the world will believe. Peace in the church and among followers of Jesus that gather together has an acute missional aspect to it, according to Jesus. And so a church can have the greatest approach to mission, can live missionally before a watching community, can have great relationships with the wider world, speak in such a way that makes the gospel something others want to embrace, have great apologetics for the faith, offer tremendous acts of service. But if there are factions, if there's a lack of peace, at least according to Jesus, if there is a lack of commitment to pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation when fractures happen, and they will happen, that will undermine any and all other efforts to seek the good of the city. Because for Jesus, it's the unity among his people that will be the most compelling factor. Res Pres exists in its mission to be a blessing to the city of Madison. And although it doesn't end here, it must start with demonstrating and living out a unity in the body that's unique to how the rest of the world handles differences, differences and complexities of people living in close proximity to each other. And so without a continuous pursuit of peace with one another, Res Pres will lose its edge in seeking to bless Madison because that's how God designed it to be. Now, let me just pause. Let me quickly address what genuine peace and forgiveness and reconciliation is not. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't mean that everybody in a particular church will be best friends and want to hang out and socialize all the time together. <laughs> That's not what it means. It's not becoming best friends with everybody else in the congregation. It's not denying that there are real personality and other differences between us. <laughs> and when the wrongs do happen, it's not denying that a wrong has actually happened. It's not belittling it. But it does mean that when you and I find it difficult to love and live at peace with a particular individual, we no longer go out of our way to ignore that individual at least. <laughs> and it also might mean that when you and I get sideways with another person in the body, 
Forgiving might not just be one-time event. It might be something that you and I will have to do again and again and again in our hearts and our minds. Because although God is able to remember our sins no more, when he forgives us, we as finite fallen human beings are very quick to regurgitate past wrongs. <laughs> and we might have to again and again forgive in our heart. So how can we possibly do this? How is this possible? Well, the first thing I would say in answering that question is, let's just be honest. It's hard. <laughs> There's no easy five steps in this works. It's hard. The reason we don't see it very often is it's hard. <laughs> so we need to at least shift in our heads that it's going to be hard. But then also there needs to be a shift in our minds that living in community in a body of faith is not simply for ourselves. Now, no doubt, we greatly benefit from others who share our faith. We live in a day and time, especially, I mean, I, I feel it in New York. I know you feel it here. I felt it since I've been here in Madison. Sometimes you can feel a little odd and out there and weird to be a follower of Jesus. And it's good. It's a gift to have others who are also followers of Jesus that you can be friends with, that you can go to. The fact that we're here this morning, taking up time on our weekend when we could be sleeping in or at least watching the World Cup final right now rather than recording it, <laughs> it's a gift. No doubt, the community of faith that Jesus left us, we do receive from it. We benefit from it. It's a good thing. We need it, and we should absolutely cherish and treasure it. But sharing in that community will also cost us something if we're doing it right. If we do not feel the cost of living in community with other believers, or if we do all we can to resist the complexity and difficulty of loving others and being at peace with others, we have not yet truly experienced the full extent that the gift of community actually is and intended by God. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer so eloquently and sharply put it in his work, Life Together, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Let me just pause. You and I, we don't like to be interrupted. <laughs> This is what he says. We must, allow, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with their own claims and petitions. I don't like to be interrupted. <laughs> As you've heard me say many a time, I'm an introvert. <laughs> I like my time. <laughs> I like my me time. But to be in community will mean that we will have our lives interrupted by others. And if we are going to grow as human beings, there will be costs. 
But Jesus says, if you're going to find your life, you must first lose it. You must be willing to die to yourself. You must be willing to die to your ego. You must be willing to die to your safety. You must die. I must die to my desire for a life of ease. (laughs) And living in community is God's way of pruning us. And pruning is always necessary for more growth and more fruit. But that living in community, that pruning part of being in community where it's necessary for us to die to ourselves, it's not an obstacle to the process. It is the process. It is the process. It's not something we'd get out of the way so that we can get back on track. It's the track that God has placed us on. Next, a very tangible thing we can do. And actually, this is, I I will honestly speak from experience here. This has helped me. It seems like something that's very straightforward, and it's logical, and it makes sense. Or at least spiritually, in our spiritual minds, we think it does, because at the end of the day, I think we think it's actually very unproductive to do, and that's simply to pray. The person that you find difficult to love, pray for them. And I don't mean the prayer, God, Please change this person's mind so they understand where I'm coming from. (laughs) I mean, pray for their well-being. Pray for their good. (laughs) Maybe the prayer goes like this. God, this person drives me absolutely insane. (laughs) I know they need that job. Give them that job. Find out what their needs are. (laughs) But pray for them. And pray for them regularly. Again, Bonhoeffer's too good to ignore on this. Christian, he says this, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother or a sister for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble they cause me. Their face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in the midst of intercession into the countenance of a sister or a brother for whom Christ has also died. The face of another forgiven sinner, just like me. And finally, there's another source. And by the way, before I get to that final source, Paul does mention one spirit. (laughs) That spirit gives us a promise that when we go to him and pray, there are times we will not know what to pray. Sometimes it would be difficult to pray for somebody else. And the spirit says, I will be there. (laughs) I will help you pray because you know not how to pray. (laughs) But finally, there's a fuel source that we, as we close, that we have to constantly be going back to that's outside of ourselves. Because you and I don't have it within us to be able to love and pursue peace and reconciliation with our own limited resources. Because the pursuit of peace and reconciliation and forgiveness when others, when that's necessary, is literally hellishly hard. (laughs) And it's all but humanly impossible. 
but it's still commanded of Jesus' followers, which tells me Jesus doesn't give me busy work. He doesn't give us busy work as his followers. He doesn't give us stuff to do just to keep us busy. Because <laughs> we're killing time until he gets back, comes back for us. That tells me that he will fuel us and provide what's necessary to carry out his commands to us. On this, Miroslav Volf speaks and says, we don't forgive simply because a law demands that we do so. We forgive because God has already forgiven. For us to hold any offender captive to sin by refusing to forgive is to reject the reality of God's forgiving grace. Because Christ died for all, we are called to forgive everyone who offends us without distinctions and without conditions. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, when the meal is served that we will be participating in in just a few moments, Jesus is sitting at a table, where, and, and he knows there are at least two individuals. He knows that everybody's going to abandon him. He also knows that one of his best friends, if not his best friend, is going to deny even knowing him. And he knows that one of his close friends is actually going to betray him, is going to make a profit off of knowing Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He grabs a, a bucket of water and a towel, knowing, looking into the eyes of every one of those disciples who will betray, deny, abandon. And he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash their dirty, mucky feet. And every one of us who are in him, had we been there at that table that night, he would have had just as much joy to get down on his knees and wash our feet. And ultimately, he washes us clean by what he does on the cross. On the cross, as he is dying, <laughs> He looks out and he sees all of his enemies and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But because of what he did, because of what he finished on the cross, you and I have become once again friends with God. We now have peace with God. And it's that peace coming back to that reality again and again that will provide the fuel that you and I need to, to have when it's necessary for us to offer forgiveness and pursue peace with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have sent your Son, not simply to come into this world and to be among us, but ultimately to take on all of the sin and injustice, all the waywardness, all the ways that we participate in to keep peace in this world, to hurt the peace with those around us, all of the ways that we contribute to that. You came into this world to take all that upon yourself, 
And you did that not when we had it all together, not when we finally were good enough and worthy enough, but you did that while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies. Christ, you died for us. We thank you for that, and we ask that that truth, that reality might be even more powerful and palpable in our hearts and our minds and our lives this Christmas season as we remember your first coming and look forward to your next, that that might provide the fuel for us to truly look out and pursue peace with others. We admit we don't have it within ourselves. We admit it is hard. (laughs) But Jesus, we trust you would not ask us, you would not lead us into something that we would, you would not provide for us to be able to do. So Jesus, would you be honored? Would you remind us once again of your great love for us in laying down your life that we might once again become your friend and friend with our God, our creator. Help us to believe that for the first time or the thousandth time we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.